gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast The New 52 Adventures of Superman Superman Forever Radio I've got a few things to say about Superman The Cares World Podcast The Superman Vidcast The World's Best Podcast And... Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. And welcome to episode 66 of Superman in the Bronze Age. Today we continue our year-long celebration of Superman's 75th birthday by looking at the first time that Superman met Captain Marvel. Well, sort of. But first, are you like me and live about 40 minutes away from the nearest comic book store? Then might I suggest Discount Comic Book Services. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers... Comic fans, the comics they need at the prices they want. With monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price, and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock, DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. Plus, you can pre-order up to five free comic book daybooks when placing your January pre-order. You can find them on the web at dcbsservice.com. Also, I want to direct you guys to two TWOMorrows.com. That's TWOMorrows.com. Where the latest issue of their back issue magazine is all about Superman in the Bronze Age. It, it, it even says Superman in the Bronze Age on the cover. So I wonder if I could get money out of them for using the name of my show. Hmm. Anyway, if you enjoy this era of Superman at all, please check this issue out. It's currently available for just 15% off the print version, and the digital version is available for just $3.95, which you get a lot more than you do with a comic book, so I'd go for it if you can. Plus, it has a beautiful cover by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. So, let's play some promos, and we'll be back with the issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey, Kiss Comics! Hey, Michael! Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one. Why? Because we've moved. Moved? 
moved. We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do. We still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode, still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.libson.com. Still, every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. (laughs) Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're but palms in a hand. I'm Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men. Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast, ffcast.libsyn.com. Even though you've been raised as a human being, you are not one of them. Just don't fall out of the sky, Martha. Kara Krypton is gone. You mean gone? It exploded. You and I are the only survivors. I am the Superboy, a genomorph, a clone made from the DNA of the Superman, created to replace him should he perish. Destroy him should he turn from the light. You can be the world's greatest hero or its most mild-mannered citizen. The only person who can write your story is you. The Superman Family Podcast, available on iTunes and at supermanfamily.com.
we now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, now, before I get into today's story, let me set up some of the background on this issue. As I'm sure most of you know, Superman made his debut in Action Comics number 1 in 1938, and after becoming a successful hit, he soon found himself surrounded by a bunch of imitators. As such, national periodicals, which would later be known as DC Comics, made sure to use the law to shut down these imitators. It was during all of this that Captain Marvel made his debut in Wiz Comics, published by Fawcett Publications. Captain Marvel, as you also may know, it was a young boy, or actually still is, a young boy named Billy Batson, who was given superpowers by an old wizard uh, that he can call upon whenever he says the word Shazam! The character was a success, and soon had spin-offs with Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and more. It wasn't too long before Captain Marvel actually started selling better than our very own Man of Steel. So, National flexed their legal muscles again, and, after a lengthy set of court battles, Captain Marvel ceased publication, and National eventually bought Fawcett Publications. So flash forward to the early 70s when DC, now basically owning the characters, decided to bring Captain Marvel and his staple of characters back to comics. But they couldn't use Captain Marvel on the covers because Marvel Comics had introduced their own Captain Marvel, so DC had to change the title to Shazam Comics. Now, with Captain Marvel and Superman being published by the same company, it wasn't long before people started calling for them to meet and, of course, fight. After all, what's the big thing? Who would win in a fight, Captain Marvel or Superman? Well, DC apparently wasn't sure how well that would sell. So about a year after the Shazam book was launched, they created their own knockoff version called Captain Thunder to take on Superman so they could gauge fan response. The battle took place in Superman number 276 with a cover date of June 1974 and a release date of March 19, 1974 and a cover price of 20 cents. The title of the story is Make Way for Captain Thunder, written by Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Bob Oxner, and edited by Julie Schwartz. One day in Metropolis, a young boy named Willie Fawcett appears in a brilliant flash of light in a dingy Metropolis alleyway. Not recognizing his surroundings, he takes a bus to 51st Street and Governor's Plaza, where Wham! TV is, which is where Willie works. After being quite shocked at the cost of the after being quite shocked that the cost of bus fare has risen from five cents to thirty-five cents, he gets another surprise when, instead of Wham TV, he arrives at WGBS. When he's made fun of for his outdated looks, he begins to think he's somehow traveled to the future. Just then, he spots Superman flying overhead, chasing a flying lizard. But while the Man of Steel is busy, Willie also sees a helicopter closing in on an armored car. Believing this to be trouble, Willie rubs his magic belt buckle and says, THUNDER! And with a magical starburst, Willie becomes Captain Thunder. But when he flies off to stop the robbery, he feels a strange compulsion come over him and actually assists the robbers with their getaway. Meanwhile, across town, Superman uses some water from the river to dissipate the flying lizard, which, it turns out, is actually a projected illusion and arrives at the scene of the real crime just in time to see Captain Thunder flying off with the armored car. After a bit of scuffle between the two superpowered beings, in which both men are surprised by the other's power and resilience, Captain Thunder throws the armored car at the Man of Steel, then quickly rubs his buckle, says, THUNDER! And with a magical starburst, he becomes Willy again, who ends up on the ground with no memory of what happened while he was Captain Thunder. 
Thinking Superman may be able to help, he heads back to WGBS to see if they know where Superman's friends are. Inside, he's directed to Clark Kent's office, and basically relays his entire secret origin to the reporter, because Willie's apparently very trusting. As the story goes, a while back, Willie was at a suburb camp for orphans, when he found himself unable to sleep one night. So he sits outside, apparently in the cold, which is weird for the summer, but anyway, uh, and he gets scared by an owl, and then decides it's a good idea to follow the owl as it flies away from the camp, you know, as you do. The owl leads him to a secret cave where he meets Maroki, the last of the great medicine men of the Mohegan tribe. Maroki gives Willie his magic belt and bestows upon him the powers of the great Mohegan shamans. The power of the tornado, the speed of the hare, the bravery of the Uncas, which apparently are outstanding warrior chiefs from the Mohegan tribe, according to the trusty little editor's note, the wisdom of nature, the toughness of a diamond, the flight of an eagle, and the tenacity of a ram. Willie is then directed to rub the buckle and say the magic word composed of the first letter of each name on the list, which is, of course, THUNDER. And with a brilliant starburst, Willie becomes Captain Thunder. And now that he really has no idea about any of his powers or what he's supposed to do next, the shaman basically floats away to... His version of what heaven would be, I suppose. So Captain Thunder becomes a hero, fighting crime and injustice for no other reason than because it is right. However, his last memory as Captain Thunder is when he was fighting the Monster League of Evil across 1953 dimensions of time and space. He defeated the villains, but they threatened that they had done something to the hero. Then, he crossed the time and space barrier to go home, but ended up in an alley he didn't recognize instead. He also figures that the Monster League made the Captain a bad guy somehow. Clark, however, believes Captain Thunder to be from another Earth, since there's no report of his activities before today, and that Willie may have been deluded into thinking he's Captain Thunder. So Clark decides to take Willie to the police headquarters records department to see if there are reports of Willie missing, and, for plot convenience, decides to take Lois along as well. As they arrive at the headquarters, Clark hears and sees a breakout taking place downstairs. So he excuses himself to, to get Willie a burger and changes to Superman, while Lois and Willie find themselves surrounded by police officers trying to set up a barricade due to the breakout. Without thinking, Willie transforms to Captain Thunder, and upon seeing Superman's arrival, decides that this would be a great time for round two. Superman tries freezing Captain Thunder in a cloud, then the captain tries throwing Superman through a mountain. Then Superman throws the top part of that mountain down onto Captain Thunder. Realizing that this is going nowhere, Superman goads Captain Thunder into saying thunder again, while getting close enough to force the... I'll go ahead and call him the Big Red Cheese, to rub his buckle. Now Willie again, Superman tells Willie to change back, but this time puts the boy in a hold so that he can force the captain to use the wisdom of nature to fight off whatever the Monster League did and go home. So Willie changes back to Captain Thunder, and since he's roughly as strong as Superman and can get no leverage over the Man of Steel due to the hold he's in, Captain Thunder is gradually able to break through the Monster League's control, and with a quick rub of his buckle and the shout of THUNDER, he heads back to whatever Earth he was originally from. Later, Clark and Lois are out for a stroll, with Clark finishing up a recap of the Superman-Captain Thunder battle, and soon are walking past an expensive restaurant, 
Lois decides that she's hungry, saying that since Clark only offered Willie something to eat and not her, he still owes her a meal, despite the high prices at this unnamed restaurant. So Clark gives in, and but not without pulling what I'm going to call a Clark move, by making sure to put plenty of ketchup on his sirloin, much to Lois's dismay. And after a few more promos, we'll be right back with my notes. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com Twenty-seven years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth. But they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived. Why is he here? What is his purpose? And how will Cal El and Kara Zorel respond when faced with Hell on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlie Niemeyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. Well, hello there. I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. Come in. Enjoy my palatial Arctic estate. Ah, I see you noticed the smell of mahogany and my hardback archive and showcase editions. Yeah, I do all right for myself. Listen, why don't you get cozy here with me on my titano-skin rug while Motello mixes us up a drinky drink. Motello, soda cola martini, shaken. Look, I want you to come with me to a place. A place where it's only you and me and the Man of Steel, maybe Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane? Wait, wait, where are you going? No, this isn't me coming on to you. This is a podcast promo.
What I'm trying to propose is joining me weekly like Clark Kent did when he threw the green crystal into the water and saw Marlon Brando's giant head appear, only in podcast form and my head just won't even be visible because it is an audio medium. Once a week, delve into the world of Superman with me on Superman Forever Radio. Look at comics, toy lines, TV series, characters, creators, anything and everything connected to the Man of Steel. Every Sunday at supermanforever.com, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Superman Forever Radio, fighting for truth and justice forever. That's supermanforever.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, my notes for the issue. First of all, let's look at the cover. We have Superman and Captain Thunder flying at each other. Captain Thunder looks pretty ticked. The people below are running all over the place, and it says, The story you thought we'd never dare print. The fight to decide the superhero championship of the world. Now, if you really thought that these guys would fight in a Superman comic and then have Superman lose in 1974, you're probably not thinking straight. Maybe in a special with a superstar like Muhammad Ali or something, they'd let Superman lose. But in something like this, I highly doubt it. Page one. I don't remember reading such a dreary description of Metropolis before. I mean, it sounds more like Gotham. I mean, listen to some of this. A dingy Metropolis alleyway. Uh, but before Willie can assemble his thoughts, a far-off rumbling gathers into a deafening roar as over decaying streets soars the magnificent starborn form of Superman. I mean, I, I know it's not a lot of them, but dingy metropolis alleyway and decaying city streets just doesn't... I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I'm sure it actually was. But metropolis usually is depicted as being a shiny example of what a city can be. So hearing these descriptions was a little weird, especially for the 70s. Uh, also, Willie Fawcett is obviously a nod to Fawcett Publications and the fact that Willie would be another nickname for Billy or Bill or William. So makes sense. Plus, I mean, he looks just uh, well, quite a bit like him. I mean, his hair is different because he's got a crew cut instead of a whatever Billy Batson had, but definitely looks like he stepped out of a, six, a 40s comic, even with his little weird shoes. Page 2. We see two guys making fun of Willie for his crew cut. One of them's got long hair, and the other one's got a... Well, it's long, but it's kind of poofy. Basically, I think that this is Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan. The one with the long brown hair looks like kind of like the way Carrie Bates's hair was. He just doesn't have his goatee. And the other guy looks a lot like the way Elliot Magan's hair used to be. But he it's colored blonde for some reason. But that's what I'm thinking anyway. I may be wrong. Uh, also on page two, whereas Billy Batson likes to say, holy moly, a lot, Willie Fawcett likes to say, creepies, a lot. Which just doesn't seem to work as well, but then again, it's possible that holy moly has been so ingrained into my head the, any, anymore that nothing else would sound right. Uh, page 4. Captain Thunder looks exactly like Captain Marvel, uh, but with a different chest symbol. I mean, he's got the cape with the collar. He, it's got the rope across the neck. It's got the little symbols on the cape, which is kind of short. He's got the golden brace things along his wrists, same kind of boots, uh, same coloring, it just, yeah. Um, 
page six, we get more of a close-up of Captain Thunder. And Swan does a good job of modernizing the Captain Marvel look, but keeping this somewhat simplified face and that wavy hairstyle. Much like... Okay, you got to keep in mind that at this point, even with the new Shazam comic... Basically, they were trying to keep in style with what they had used back in the 40s and 50s type of cartoony-looking art from C.C. Beck. They hadn't done any of the quote-unquote modernizing yet, so this is really the first time, probably, that Captain Marvel's... that anyone's gotten a chance to see what Captain Marvel might look like if he was drawn in a more modern sense, which is actually something that shortly after the uh, well into the 70s and up until New 52 is something that a lot of artists tried to do with the character if you ever see saw him in some of his other appearances whether it's in a Superman book or a Green Lantern book or crossovers they would draw him but they kind of draw him with a slightly more simplified look making sure to keep the wavy hair and everything uh, or usually some squinted eyes like they used to back in the day. Even Jerry Ordway's Power of Shazam book did this. So it's pretty cool to see it start here. Uh, page 9. I get the feeling that Magan really had to reach on some of the words for thunder. I mean, the wisdom of nature? Really? That, yeah. Uh. Um, page 10. We get a cameo from the Captain Thunder version of Dr. Sylvana here. Um, it doesn't look quite as small, but still bald and has the glasses and apparently is an evil scientist, just be, judging from the computer electronic console stuff in the background. Um, page 11. The Monster League of Evil is made up of the classic monster movie monsters. We have a Dracula. Wolfman, the Mummy, and Frankenstein's monster. The only one really missing from the is the creature from the Black Lagoon. But otherwise, you have them all. Also, uh, fighting across 1953 dimensions not only sounds like something Grant Morrison would come up with, uh, but is also the year that the final Fawcett Captain Marvel comic was published. So, makes sense. And pages 14 through 17. This is a really fun little battle. It's not super duper dynamic like you'd see today, maybe. But for Kurt Swan drawn battle, this is pretty dynamic. And it, he's also able to convey that this is a non-stop super slugfest. And we are seeing some real super things going on here. I mean, you got freezing clouds and destroying mountains. I mean, come on. But overall... Like I was just finishing saying, the art here is fantastic. I've praised the Swan Oscar team before, so I don't really know what else I can say, but it looks fantastic. Very clean, and stays on model with everyone very well. Also, as a bit of a surprise, the colorist appears to have tried to give Billy... I'm sorry, yeah, Billy. Appears to have tried to give Willie and Captain Thunder brown eyes. I don't know if... As far as I know, as far as the CC Beck style just gives him black circles for eyes. Uh, so I don't know that he's ever had colors for his eyes. Uh, but unfortunately, in the two panels where the eyes are visible enough to be colored, the colors don't actually line up with the artwork, so it's kind of hard to tell. However, um, this was reprinted 
and recolored for the Superman in the 70s trade, and the colors were more lined up correctly, and in there, they're making them brown. So that's kind of what I'm going to go with for that. As for the story, I don't really see why they couldn't have used Captain Marvel here unless there were legal reasons, or maybe they just didn't want him being a villain the whole time, so it would have been a drastically different story. I don't know. But, like I said, it's a really fun story. I really enjoyed it. Um, and apparently I wasn't the only one, because while I don't have sales figures, uh, this seems to have proved to be popular enough for Superman to go up against Captain, the real Captain Marvel, uh, not only in a couple of issues of Justice League of America, where they traveled to Earth-S, which is where the Marvel f- family is. Um, I think that's Earth-S for Shazam, uh, but also there's a treasury size special, which I'll be getting to in a few months. Um, and I know that they've probably gone up at least once or twice more in the Bronze Age alone, before you get even into stuff later on in the post-crisis DCU. So, yeah, it's not something that will go away. But that's going to do it for my notes for the issue, and after a couple of promos, and by couple I mean three, we're going to look at the ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other broadcasters, palling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan Apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point and... Since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus US-1? Um, no. I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that, supposedly, is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CV signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still gonna be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CP signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18th healer is just too goofy? Precisely. <sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.lipson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weider to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bro podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings, 
in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman Superman at 75, 75. the celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The Celebration of a Legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age all right the ads for this issue inside on the inside back cover we have the cleveland institute of technology no sorry cleveland institute of electronics ad for how to succeed in electronics and get a commercial fcc license and yet they want you to cut up the cover and then they still expect you to put postage Oh, no, they don't. I'm sorry. No stamp necessary if mailed in the United States. Still, they want you to cover up the front cover of this comic. What the heck? Um, the next one uh, is from Mego, the official world's greatest superheroes. Um, and they have super foes now. These, co- these toys are 8 inches tall, and they're great. Fully posable, so make sure you collect them all. And not only do they have Shazam, or, well, Captain Marvel, but they have to use Shazam for because of the copyright that I mentioned earlier. But they have Batman, Robin, Aquaman, Superman, and Tarzan. Okay. And, of course, the super foes are here, so they've also got Joker, Mr. Mixius Pitalik, the Riddler, and the Penguin. So that's all really cool. Actually, the, the heroes look like they're some like from package art, but the villains look like they've actually been taken from comic book art. Um, just looking at this real quick, that Mixius Pitalik looks very much like a Kurt Schaffenberger artwork. The Joker looks very 60s-ish. 
Uh, the Riddler looks like he does uh, in the Silver Age with uh, maybe some Carmine Infantino and Murphy Anderson artwork, possibly. Just a guess. And I can't tell with the Penguin. It's too muddled because of the poor quint quality, quint print quality. Wow, I cannot talk. The next page is uh, another house ad for all of the DC 100-page giants coming out that month for only 60 cents. Uh, there's one from Detective Comics with a Jim Aparo cover. Looks pretty cool. I can't wait to see it in the Elseworlds. Uh, a Tarzan book, Brave and the Bold, featuring Batman and the Metal Men. Sergeant Rock, an Our Army at War. The House of Mystery, Young Love, and the Superman Family. So we'll look at those a little bit later in the else in the elsewhere feature. Uh, next up, during Willie's recount of his secret origin, we have an ad for an action fishing lure that swims by its own power. Again, you can cut out the coupon and mail away for your action lure. Really, one of them is a dollar. Two is a buck seventy-five, and three is. Four ninety-eight. Okay. Uh, next page is a, uh, the top half is a hodgepodge ad of stuff for like a secret book safe and a jo- jackpot bank and a werewolf mask. Bottom ha- half is for monster-sized monsters, seven feet tall, and I don't know if they're cardboard cutouts or stickers. Uh, polyurethane. So I'm not sure. But they're only a dollar each, for and with a ten-day free trial, which is something you see too often. Next up, we have a two-page ad from the Columbia Record and Tape Club. Any fifteen records for only a dollar ninety-seven, or eleven tapes for only a dollar ninety-seven, and all the selections shown here are available in twelve-inch stereo records, eight-track cartridges, tape cassettes and reel-to-reel tapes. And they include such things as Carol King's Tapestry, Al Green's Green is Blues, uh, let's see, The Best of Mountain, Neil Diamond's Gold, Bar- Barbara Streisand's Live Concert at the Forum, the Best of Judy Collins. Mac Davis, Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me. Oh, I've heard that one. Baby, baby, don't get hooked on me. Anyway, uh, Don McLean's American Pie and the soundtrack to Godspell. There's some Brenda Lee and Rod Stewart and George Jones and Carlos Santana, Johnny Winter, Janis Joplin's Greatest Hits, Tom Jones. Uriah Heep, Elton John, Superfly soundtrack. There you go. Carly Simon, Paul Simon, Miles Davis, and others. So, there you go. Uh, Let's see. Next ad page is another two-page spread ad. Uh, This is one of those for the... um, you know, half of it is for a whole bunch of army soldiers. and The bottom half is, like, Army or Navy planes and battleships and stuff. Just those cheap little toys. That kind of thing. Uh, that they've, and these, judging by the 
the art, these are the same ads that they've had since like the 40s. The next page is a full page house ad that says, thank you DC fans for making our famous first collector's editions a complete success. If you remember last episode, I mentioned that they were just starting this program. To those of you who couldn't find a copy on the newsstands, our apologies. And now, coming soon, is an exact copy of the original. For the first time, Batman ever appeared in a comic book with a reprint of DC of Detective Comics number 27, as well as a big collector's edition Shazam book, which would have an all-star collection of the best of Shazam, which means it's probably a reprint of most of his 40s and 50s stuff, because um, I doubt that they've had enough adventures from the 70s to really put anything in there. I should also point out that their early Shazam books actually would have like one news story and then one or two reprints from the 40s too, so you were getting a lot of reprints at this point of the Shazam material. But it's got a nice C.C. Beck uh, art well, yeah, it's a nice C.C. Beck piece of art of Shazam and... Or, wow, I'm calling him that now. Of Captain Marvel and Billy Batson standing on top of a mountain. It's pretty cool. Uh, next up, we have a full-page ads for Magic Cards. There's set one and set two. So there you go. Next is a full-page house ad for the line of DC superstars for the best comics. And basically it's just showing several of the issues that are coming out this month, um, which we'll get to again in a little bit, but I can tell you what's on here is the latest issue of Superman, Wonder Woman, Weird War Tales, The Witching Hour, Rima the Jungle Girl, hmm. The Phantom Stranger, Weird Mystery Tales, and Action Comics. Uh, and let's see, after the letters page, oh there's a train, after the letters page, we have your full page ad for karate. The total, oh, I'm sorry, karate, judo, jujitsu, and savate. The total self-defense system, which I think I mentioned last issue. Uh, the inside back cover is one of those prizes, oh, sells, uh, free sales kit from Olympic to get prizes or cash. You know, simple, the, um, a guitar, the Panasonic donut radio, which looks weird, um, race car, a little electronic race car set, a portable television, etc., etc. And the back cover is an ad for MPC Zingers, the heaviest, hairiest fistfuls of muscle ever. Giant engines bulging and spilling over with supersized blowers, headers, and pipes, and easy to assemble and great to collect. Oh, oh, oh. I can't grunt, sorry. But, you know, you got like a minivan. Well, like an old van, but with an engine popping up out of the roof of it, and the back tires are giant tires. There's a dune buggy zinger, a VMW zinger, a VMW? Wow. A VW zinger, a zinger Corvette, a little red zinger, a super semi zinger, wow. A super drag zinger, a Chevy 57, a 57 Chevy Zinger. So, yeah. And basically all it is is, you know, take a car body, uh, put an engine somewhere on it that's huge. Most of them are on top. And they're all apparently the same engine for the most part. Uh, and make the back tires huge and do something funky with the front tires. For example, the 57 Chevy Zinger 
um, has humongous shocks. So the tires are normal size, but the front of the thing is lifted up very high. Um, so yeah, it's weird. And next up is Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse for this month, which is, as I said, March of 1974. Uh, looking through in publication order, uh, the beginning of the month we saw those two big collectors, excuse me, collectors edition books I was telling you about, Famous First Edition with, DC, with Detective Comics 27 and the Shazam reprint book. Uh, we have Wonder Woman 212, which has the Justice League trying to get Wonder Woman to come back to the team and her saying that she can't. And Superman's at the bottom and is going to tell you exactly what happened in this story. Exactly as it happened. And of course Superman has got a Kurt Swan face and head and the other characters look like Bob Oskner work. Um... Phantom Stranger number 31 with the uh, Beware the Black or No, that's another story. It's Phantom Stranger being attacked by a soldier while the rock cave above him turns into a hand and is a, that is about to grab the soldier. Weird. Ah, uh, yes, Rima Jungle Girl number 2. I didn't even know there was one. That's cool. Uh, Brave and the Bold 13 does have... Uh, Batman and the Metalman story, which is brand new for the issue, as well as reprint stories featuring Green Arrow, Hawkman, the Challengers of the Unknown, and the Viking Prince. And that's one of the DC 100-page 60-cent comics for the month. Uh, Superman 276, which we just went through. Wow, there are really not much comics that came out this month. Only 24 issues in the month. Wow. Um, Superman Family number 165 featured a new story of Supergirl versus uh, the Princess of the Golden Sun, plus several reprint stories uh, with Jimmy featuring Jimmy Olsen, Superboy, Superman, Lois Lane, Superboy, and Superman again. All reprints from the previous eras of Superman. Most of them from the Silver Age. Uh, the next one is Action Comics, which features the Super Cigars of Perry White, um, which I'll probably review soon. This, if you all recall, several episodes ago, Dave and I uh, covered an issue of Superman featuring the Army of Tomorrow, and this is a sequel to that story. It's like about a year or two later weird. Uh, but yeah, I will get to that probably not this year because I don't have it on my schedule for the year of awesome Superman stuff from the Bronze Age. It's still a good it's still an, well we'll call it an interesting story. But yes I will get to that. Detective Comics 441 uh, featuring Batman and Robin in Judgment Day which is a Archie Goodwin Howard Chaikin story. Let's see if any of the others are new. Does not appear to be. Nope. So, uh, this is another 100-page giant, and the other stories in here feature Plastic Man, 
Batman, Ibis the Invincible, Eclipso, Alias the Spider, Batman, and The Manhunter, the all-new Manhunter, and I believe this is new. Yes, The Manhunter and the first Batman stories are new, the rest are reprints from the Golden and Silver Ages. And then there's Tarzan number 231. And that's it for the comics for that month for the month of March 1974 so next up J. David Weider continues his series of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in Superboy in the Bronze Age the adventures of Superboy exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of earthlings Superboy who as Clark Kent mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome to another exciting installment of Superboy in the Bronze Age, covering Superboy's 70s adventures with the Legion of Superheroes. Picking up this time around with Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes, issue 198, the October 1973 issue. This issue boasts a cover by Nick Carty featuring Superboy holding a battle axe, fighting to not, well, hit himself in the face with it as the Fatal Five watch from the background. The Fatal Five, who made their first appearance in a story with the same name from Adventure Comics 352, Jim Shooter, and Kurt Swan did that story, and they were five outlaws recruited to help the Legion fight a Sun Eater. Now, of course, the outlaws banded together and betrayed the Legion, so Pharaoh Lad sacrificed himself in that story, which is pretty fondly remembered. And the five have been a thorn in the side of the Legion ever since. A quick rundown on the Fatal Five. Their members are Therok, half-man, half-robot, and the controller of Validus, a huge brute with a brain exposed under glass that can shoot deadly lightning. Emerald Empress, who has her mystical Emerald Eye of Ekron, a sphere that obeys her commands from shooting energy beams to making her a giant. The Persuader, whose atomic axe can cut through anything. In some cases, even the air supply of other people. And Mano, who can disintegrate anything with a touch of his hand. And yes, they feature heavily in this story entitled The Fatal Five Who Twisted Time. Written by Carrie Bates with art by Dave Cockrum. This is a three-chapter event spanning the entire issue. And we are greeted with a a title page split down the middle. On the left, Superboy gets blasted by the Emerald Empress's eye. On the right, Legion Headquarters vanishes. Dropping into the first scene on pages two through five, Lana and Clark visit a carnival just outside of Smallville, and, the, and they visit the haunted house. I just want to say that Dave Cockrum draws a very um, mature, developed Lana. So clearly the hormones have begun their work, and puberty is kind to her. Now in front of the Horror Haven tent are two figures, I also want to point out. One that looks like a, well, looks like Swamp Thing. And another that appears to be a pink man thing. As in the Marvel character. Not what you're thinking, Dirty Minds. But Clark's mind is on the mysterious UFO that has been appearing over Smallville for the last few nights, shooting rays that make people and objects transparent, like X-rays. Okay, UFO, X-ray effects, seems legit. This is Tuesday in Smallville. Now Clark snaps out of his stupor when an escaped gorilla tries to attack Lana, and he subtly subdues the gorilla. Wait, a gorilla? Do you think that this is why Superboy had a gorilla suit handy just a few issues ago? Well, of course, that would be retroactive. Anyway, even though she was just assaulted by a primate, Lana now wants to go to the fortune teller. 
but Clark recognizes the green crystal ball as the Emerald Empress's Emerald Eye and fakes stomach cramps to slip out of the tent, and it is the eye that is also the UFO that has been appearing. Now, in my personal experience, it's usually the girl who fakes stomach cramps to get out of a date. Is that just, is that just me? Anyway, continuing with pages 6 through 8, Clark changes into Superboy and confronts the Emerald Empress, who calls on her partner, the Persuader, disguised as a carnival worker, and he armors up and comes after Superboy. And I actually wondered if Cockrum had slipped the disguised Persuader into the background of any previous pages. Nope. Now, that would have been kind of cool. Have them walk right by, and he's in the background, and then when the Persuader transforms, boom! You're like, oh, I see what you did there. We walked right by it. But no, no such thing. Now, the Persuader attacks Superboy, and combined with the magic of the Emerald Empress, Superboy is forced to attack himself with the Persuader's axe, and he cleaves himself in the forehead. Nope, no joke. The panel is done in silhouette, but it is still Superboy putting an axe blade into his freaking skull. Now, see, comics were always violent. No, wait, I don't. that's not a case I want to make. This was done actually tastefully. As tastefully as a teenager taking an axe to the head can be, it, that is. But the first chapter wraps with Mano showing up and the Empress putting Superboy into a permanent suspended animation. And they hide his body as... The three villains shout death to the Legion. Now before I get to the next chapter, a note. Mano is not to be confused with the paragon of cinema that is Mano's Hands of Fate. However, since that movie classic came out in 1966 and Mano made his debut in 1967, I leave you to wonder if Jim Shooter took it a late night movie and decided he had a great idea for a Legion villain. Ponder it. Now, picking up the story with Chapter 2, Prisoners of the Time Lock, with pages 9 through 11, Legionnaires Brainiac 5, Element Lad, Princess Projectra, and Karate Kid arrive in the 20th century via Time Bubble. They are hoping that the reports of Superboy's death are incorrect, and that they can correct this, but Lana confirms that the Teen of Steel is apparently deceased, the villains have vanished with his body. With the bad news, the Legionnaires look at the silver lining, at least the remaining two members of the Fatal Five are in custody in the future. Except, ten centuries later, Monel and Colossal Boy are just discussing that Validus and Therok are at large when they and the entire Legion headquarters vanish. A cheerful Therok states to Validus that he has found the most devastating weapon, time. And he used it to wipe out the Legion. Now, time is a good weapon, also a crisis, a retcon, Valor, or just a three-boot, if you will. How have the Legion not put this together? If Superboy dies, there is no Superman, no Legion. It's in the, it happens in the past. It seems obvious to me. Don't they have, like, a brainiac in their ranks? Oh, wait. Just sit back and watch. With pages 12 to 15, the Persuader, Mano, and the Emerald Empress attack the four Legionnaires, now in a time limbo paradox thing. As they fight, the villains spill their plans, and the Legionnaires bring a momentary defeat in a pretty standard monologue fight combo that brings the second chapter to an end. But it all hits the fan in chapter 3, Countdown to Catastrophe. Now, as the countdown begins to make this alternate Superboyless timeline permanent, Mano meets up with Validus and Therok in the future, but how could that be? Because he's in the 20th century, where Superboy's body is hidden in a statue of the Teen of Steel, along with a, that device that will make the Legionless timeline permanent. I'm glad you asked, because Brainiac 5 gets a signal, just as the Empress and the Persuader notice that Mano's devastating touch isn't disintegrating anything. What goes on here? The 20th century Mano is revealed to be a disguised chameleon boy. Just as the villains are about to attack, a flurry of things happen. Validus arrives, only to be revealed as an illusion from Princess Projectra, as Karate Kid splits the Superboy statue and destroys the Time Sorter. This means that the Legion headquarters reforms, creating a cell around Mano and Therok, 
Validus runs off, saying deuces to his compatriots, as the Persuader and Emerald Empress escape to the 20th century. And it seems that Brainiac 5 caught wind of the Fatal Five's plan and planted Chameleon Boy into their ranks to learn their full idea. And the story wraps, with Mano and Therok thwarted by standing in the exact spot as a holding cell, and Superboy alive and well. Despite, you know, the atomic axe to the forehead thing. So this was... This was a twisted Mission Impossible type story. It, it played with time travel and alternate timelines that acted as pocket universes at... <gasps> Wait... I see what you did there. I just wonder if John Byrne read this issue and nodded to himself sometime in the past. Cockrum is a heck of an artist. He's very missed, and his redesigns really continue to make me smile, but the story, which spans the entire issue, as I mentioned, suffers from one of the major flaws a Legion story can fall prey to. Too many Legionnaires. None of our heroes get very much page time, and we get no editor's notes to kind of clue us in on who's who. And uh, overall, it's a fairly good, if uneven, romp. But, if you were wondering what was going on with Tyr and his robotic hand, join me next time when we pick that story back up with The Gun Who Mastered Men in issue 199. Until then, I am J. David Weeder saying, Long live the Legion. Long live Superboy. And that will just about wrap things up for yet another episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. If you have any comments on the episode, please feel free to email us at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Um, you can also check us out, on, uh, like our page on Facebook, um, or you know, give us a review on iTunes. And please make sure to come back in just two weeks when we look at the debut of Bartox. See you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.